From Boca Raton, Florida, this is Behind the Beamer. On this episode, the rabbis are joined by Congressman Richie Torres from the Bronx, New York. Congressman Torres explains how he became a staunch public supporter of Israel, shares some of the challenges he faces advocating for Israel, and discusses his feelings on combating the recent wave of anti-Semitism in New York and around the country. Also, the rabbis are joined by Joseph Borgen, the victim of a recent anti-Semitic attack in Manhattan. Joseph details what happened to him last week and discusses what life has been like since. All this and more, Behind the Bima. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's 9 p.m. on Wednesday night. I am your host, Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg, joined by my dear Ken colleagues and friends, Rabbi Philip Moskowitz and Rabbi Josh Brody, and we're here to take you... Behind the Bima. We're here to take you behind the Bima. Gentlemen, <clears throat> it is another week, another Wednesday night. Um, a lot going on, a lot to talk about, but we have two very special guests and opportunities tonight. Um, Joey, Joseph, who we're going to talk to, we probably never dreamt we'd have on. He never dreamt he'd be on. Unfortunately, due to circumstances, uh, he has a story to tell. And uh, Congressman Torres, Representative Torres, also to show our appreciation, our gratitude, has been standing up in some very trying times for Israel and for the Jewish community uh, in the face of anti-Semitism. So we're grateful. But let's begin with our sponsor. And our sponsor tonight is a bittersweet moment. Sponsor tonight is someone who's a big part of our family, uh, literally and figuratively, here in BRS, and each of us personally, our very own, our beloved Linda Gordon. Linda Gordon has been working at BRS before any of us. She's been here for almost 25 years, and she's retiring, well-deserved. She's moving on. She's going to be with her children and grandchildren. And she generously, we should be sponsoring tonight in her honor. Right. She's sponsored <laughs> in honor of us. And uh, we love Linda. We're going to stay in touch with her forever, and we're so grateful. You have a favorite Linda moment? Share with us. Share about our sponsor for a moment. There we go. A little, little picture right there. Tell everybody. What's <laughs> tell everybody a favorite Linda? First moment. First of all, I'm in awesome. total denial. I don't believe she's actually leaving. I think she's going to leave for like a week, realize how much she misses us, and come back. That's how integral Linda is. She's the heartbeat of BRS. No one has cared more about our members. No one has literally lived, breathed, eat, sleep BRS over the last 25 years than Linda. She's given her heart and she's given her soul. Our members feel it. We feel it. And it's, uh, I'm in denial. I really am. I, yeah. you know, she's such an integral part of it. I love how she has on her wall like pictures of her family and then there's pictures of us. It's like we're all, yeah. it's hard to find that line pictures between the two. Pictures of us, pictures of our families. Right. And uh, yeah, it's a really close connection. Somebody really makes themselves an integral part of an institution, of a community, of its leadership. The people in our community have come to trust her, put their faith in her, confide in her. She coordinated a lot of sensitive uh, experiences, events, people, circumstances, and um, and we love her. And she deserves her happiness and to move on. But we'll miss her. I'll tell you. I'll tell you a favorite Linda moment, though. It's not really a moment. It's like a. It's it's an explanation of who Linda was. Linda really embodied the work hard, play hard model of like what oh, yeah. we aspire for you know linda when it came time to work she'd be there early in the morning she'd stay late at night take she, it home with she her took it home with her like she would get the job done but when she wanted to have fun linda also knew to have fun <laughs> she knew how to make us laugh she knew how to play along with a joke with us she yep. was really part of the family and it was uh again i'm in total denial that she's actually leaving yeah yeah so and, uh we appreciate her sponsorship her generosity and we'll what are we going to do with the stories with word perfect is that done now are we officially retiring that as well yeah my favorite time with linda every year was at our event to raise money for our jewish education scholarship fund linda and yes. i would enjoy a scotch and a cigar together so you know you want your your executive assistant who like you said work hard and care deeply and spiritual and 
but she also knew how to enjoy a scotch and a cigar <laughs> with the rabbi. So that was kind of cool. Linda's dead. Yeah, I missed that. Very, very cool. And uh, we'll miss that, but we'll still. She said she's coming back every winter to visit. So we'll get that opportunity. We'll keep that going. We have a lot of very um, significant, scary uh, topics to talk about tonight. As we, as we say, Israel's still at the forefront of our minds. The rise of anti-Semitism and uh, Joey's personal experience, which we're going to hear more about. Um, but I'll tell you, you know, as much as we're tempted to believe that the world is turning on us, and, and we'll speak to both of our guests tonight about that, the propaganda war, the social media war, what's been going on not only on the ground in Israel and from the sky, but what's been going on online and on the internet and all of that. But, you know, sometimes we can lose perspective. Yes, ADL reported that anti-Semitic acts were up by some absurd percentage. And yes, there are not only enemies of Israel that online are saying vile things, but even Jewish celebrities, prominent people saying shameful things about Israel or or even about uh, being Jews. But, you know, I, I had several experiences that reminded me that the majority of people are decent and they're good and they get it. I went on Sunday, I flew to a wedding and uh, about 10 minutes before we landed, the person sitting next to me, I, I you know, I sometimes... Try not to look so Jewish, but it's hard to pull that off. So he, he uh, <laughs> sitting next to me. I don't, I don't know what gave it away, my Yujamaka or right. gray beard. Anyway, but 10 minutes before landing, he turns to me and he says, he says, I'm not Jewish, but I've been following everything going on about Israel, but I don't believe their version. Tell me what the real story is. So I, I gave him a modern history lesson about Israel from 1948 <laughs> to the present. Everything. You know, the 48 War of Independence, the Six-Day War, Yom Kippur War, the... the uh, pulling back from Gaza 2005, the rockets, Hamas, Hezbollah, everything. And by the end, he, he was basically like, yeah, I totally get it. That's terrible. Nobody would stand for that. The rockets, thinking about you, were praying for Israel. And it was so heartwarming. That right. was one story. And then today, which is a story in its own right, I had a meeting at East Boca and I made the terrible mistake of saying to my family, I'm near Trader Joe's. Does anyone need anything? Mm. And that was a big mistake. <laughs> I need a GPS to navigate my way around Trader Joe's and to figure out the Hechshirim on these product, products and to not get lost in exploring like that sauce you never heard existed and now you had to check it out and look at it. But anyway, I'm walking into Trader Joe's and a guy walks out and he puts out his hand to me, Corona, whatever, but he puts out his hand and he goes, hello. I'm like, hello. So, you, you know, your rabbi mode kicks in and you're like, do, do I know him? Where do I know him from? Right. He's not wearing a yarmulke. Do I even know him? And he says, hello, I'm not Jewish but I'm a member of Kufi, and I just want you to know, stand with Israel, and we stand with the Jewish people, and you need to know that. I want to give the guy a hug, right. you know? So, and then the letter that we shared that I got from a local pastor to all of our community, to the BRS community, saying, there are people who love you, we love you, we're thinking about you, we're caring about Israel. So those three experiences, as much as we think they're the exception, I'd like to believe they're more of the norm, and this spike and this rise of anti-Semitism and hate, hopefully that's the exception, and the majority can overrule and extinguish the voice and the efforts of the minority. Yeah, I could just, just in response, you know, we heard so many stories, people from California, people in New York, being told, take off your yarmulke, take off your mezuzah, whatever those stories might have been. And there was a time when I was up in Orlando for a conference this week, where I went to Starbucks afterwards, and I was thinking to myself, like, what if, you know, because I was wearing my IDF t-shirt or something, I was like, what if, what if I get attacked? I, I was really scared for a moment. And I it went in, but it's never occurred to me before, you know. No, but, that, but it, that in and of itself, isn't that a symbol to all of us in and of itself that 20 years ago, you wouldn't have worried about that? Right. I don't know, 20 Last years week, ago, the things, ago that, the things that happen right. in New York City, in LA, 
you wouldn't have imagined happening 20 years ago. Not only are they happening now, but they're not getting covered by the mainstream media. They're getting largely unnoticed. I don't know. I, I, I appreciate your optimism, Rabbi Goldberg. I just, I worry. I, we've seen this story play out throughout Jewish history, and I worry immensely. We have enormous reasons to worry. I'm not minimizing or suggesting that we shouldn't worry. We've got to lobby. We've got to advocate. We've got to speak up. We've got to be strong. We have to figure out and coordinate how to protect ourselves better also. I, I believe in all of that. I believe in all of that. But I also want to believe in humanity. And I want to believe right. in decency. And I want to believe that there still are good people. Not to the point of naivete. I'm not suggesting like Nazi Germany, 1930s. No, they're good people. They're our neighbors. They could never do this. I'm not saying put our head in the sand. We've got to speak truth to power. We've got to rally. We've got to confront. We've got to pass legislation. We've got to demand internationally that bodies are put into place and there are rules that go. I believe in all of that. Right. But I don't want to. Do you ever want to live in a world you ever want to get to that point? So these individuals, they restored my faith. And, and right. again, not to the point no, of I, therefore being passive or naive. No, I appreciate that. I think, you know, I had an experience the other day where I was somewhere and some, somehow the Holocaust came up and, um, it became very clear that the person had no clue about anything about the Holocaust. I think we take for granted sometimes that in parts of America, which are not largely populated by Jewish populations, you know, we live and breathe the Holocaust. It's so much a part of our narrative, it's so much a part of our conversations. I think there are large portions of Americans who don't live and breathe the Holocaust the way we did. And the following the rise of Nazi Germany right. and, and the role anti-Semitism played in that. And I think that we take for granted how much that is part of our narrative and how concerned we are about it. I think there's a lot of ignorance out there, and I agree with you. I think there are a lot of really good people that are just misinformed, and right. they see headlines about Israel as the aggressor and the Palestinians, right? And they they just buy into that because they don't know anything else. And I think part of what, as you're articulating, part of our job is to double down on our responsibility to educate people, whether it's through APAC and to educate congressmen who might not be fully educated, whether it's just in terms of in general, when you meet someone in the supermarket, you traveling on vacation, like these are opportunities to interact with people and to educate them because they're not interacting with Jews every single day. Right, right. Yeah, and there's a lot of ways to educate. You can educate and, and you can engage and you can be a soldier in the online battle, although too much of those are echo chambers and people talking to one another. And, you know, we'll talk to Congressman Torres, but when he stood up and Stanley uh, proudly stood with Israel, there was vile hate. He was called all kinds of names. Horrific. I can tell you that, you know, when I posted after the rally that we held where a van that on the side of it said Hitler was right and right. the most vile anti-Semitic threats, calls for genocide, horrific things were being said. And I took a video of it and I posted it online. You know, I don't usually get a lot of traction. I think there's, you know, close to 350,000, 400,000 views of that of that video, of course, that's what makes news, right? Just like not your Shabbat Shuvah Russia, by the way. Yeah, just like it. Not yeah. the not the pro-Israel rally, <laughs> but that's the it. part. That's the part that makes that makes news. But we've got to confront, we've got to expose, we've got to educate. I agree. I just want to believe that there are a lot right. of really good people out there, and we shouldn't write them off. It's the opposite. We need to engage them. And I'll say something that I hope is not controversial, but sadly, too many within the Jewish community and too many of our own people. We know there are rabbinical students from other denominations who were on the wrong side of the Israel conflict, who absolutely were blaming the victim and couldn't distinguish between terrorists, between a, an Israeli-Palestinian issue that needs to be resolved and that one can have a healthy and respectful debate, and between Hamas terrorists launching 4,000 rockets. So when there are non-Jews who say, we get it. You know, I, I forgot a fourth example. Yesterday, our friend Pastor Mario Bramnick called me. 
He's the leader of the National Hispanic Pastors Movement. He represents hundreds of thousands of evangelical Christians. And he says, Rabbi, what are we doing? Are we doing an event together? Mm. How are we standing up? What are we doing? So, you know, it's amazing. Even after Israel had the ceasefire, he's still calling saying, what are we doing for Israel? What are we doing for the Jewish people? Right. How are we fighting anti-Semitism? So I'm just suggesting that, you know, when, when tragically there's segments of our Jewish community that we can't rely on to have a strong moral voice, when there are non-Jews who, who reach out and who, who have that, that loving gesture, we should, we should embrace it and we should be happy and we should be, and we should be grateful for it. But uh, right now we have the opportunity to welcome Joseph Borgen. Joey, welcome to Behind the Bima. Thank you for being Thank with you. us tonight. Thank you, guys. I really, by the way, I, the, the name, I really enjoy the name of the show. It's a great name. I just want to say you got, you've got a great radio voice, much Thank better you. than Thank all you. of us. <laughs> I, I, I don't like listening to my voice. I, don't, I think it's like with everybody. It's weird when I hear my voice. But I heard you have competition under the auto and it's coming up with the, with the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Tell me the truth, Joseph. Have you been yeah. working on that all day? Tell me, when did you start yeah. working on that line? When I, heard the name, when I heard the name, Max called me. I said, behind the, that was great. I don't know. I just, it was, it was, it, was, it came to me right away. But I, I had my back like pocket. <laughs> Listen, three rabbis bantering and having on uh, guests. That's, that's I appreciate what we it. Thanks but, for having um, me. Yeah, yeah. Listen, last week's show on last Wednesday, you wouldn't have been on our radar to have on our show and you I mean, would have never yeah. dreamt and maybe never I, heard of our show. And here we are one week later and uh, our show is uh, only one of many. I saw you were interviewed yeah. by uh, Lemon on CNN. You've been interviewed nationally, internationally, Correct, and you've been yeah. sharing a story that you wish and, and hope you would never have to have told. So we don't want to make you relive it and you've told it elsewhere. We want to go behind the bima with you okay. and angles or aspects of the story that others maybe, maybe don't know. So before we get to what happened, um, you know, tell us about yourself. Tell us where you're from. Tell us where you went to school. Yes, tell our course, viewers yeah. and listeners who will relate to your, your background. And I know uh, your cousin reached out to me today. Grateful that we're having yeah. you on. We have yeah, a lot cool, of overlap. Man. We know a lot of the same people. So, yeah. so tell us a little bit about you. So I grew up in Long Island. Uh, my entire life, I went to Halbo Elementary School after high school. I attended uh, Reishit Yerushalayim. It's actually located okay. in Beit Shemesh, but I went to Reishit okay. for the year. Uh, best year of my life. Great. I love Israel from that point on. And ever since then, I went to Baruch College, and I've been living in and around the city, you know, going home back and forth here and there, but living primarily in the city, Upper East, Upper West, various areas of the city for the past decade. And like you said last week, I would have never even thought that my yarmulke or my Judaism would put me in harm's way, verbally or physically, my entire life. Thank God, I up until that point, I never really firsthand experienced anti-Semitism. I've heard about it, and I've said the classic cliche, it can happen everywhere, it can happen to anyone. But truthfully speaking, nothing of severe magnitude where someone was physically hurt happened to anyone close nearby to me. And the fact that it happened to me is really just, yeah, it's, it's very, you know, scary. In your life, did you ever consider not, not wearing your yarmulke? Have you ever been any place that you said, you know, did you ever tour Europe with your family or you ever in the city late at night and you said, you know, I got to wear a baseball cap or take off the yarmulke? Never occurred to you before? No, never in New York, never ever in America, never when I was in New York. Maybe when I was traveling abroad, maybe when I was transferring flights here and there, I would maybe wear a baseball cap instead of a keeper, but right. never would I think that I have to, you know, not, you know, I hide the fact that I'm Jewish essentially. No. Right. Right. Wow. So tell us, you know, I, I considered playing the video as we had you on, but there's no reason to put you through that. And we've got a lot of kids yeah. who watch behind the beam, yeah. listen to behind the beam and no reason to put them through that as well. First of all, how are you feeling? How are your injuries? Are you okay? I'm okay. I'm just banged up still, you know, I got some headaches and everything sore, but, uh, I saw the video, like you said, a couple times and just a little thankful and grateful that it wasn't worse considering what could have been, to be honest. So the yeah. fact that I was able to walk out of there and make it out, you know, one piece, thankfully out of the hospital that night. 
you know, kind of presenting the opportunity to, to make, you know, example and bring some positive uh, vibes to the situation or positive impact, whatever I could do, just to prevent it from happening to someone else or bringing awareness to anti-Semitism in general, whatever I can do. Well, that's great. You're you're obviously built tough, and that's a good thing. Yeah. So uh, glad Thanks, you bounced yeah. back because you're right. Watching that video, it's unimaginable that you'd walk away, um, and and grateful that not only are you alive, but you're well, yeah. and hopefully you'll have a, a quick recovery. So thank you, thank you, know, you. Walk us through what happened. You went to this rally in Manhattan. You're you're pro-Israel. Your family. You've always been pro-Israel, I assume. Um, yeah, correct. In it's uh, it's a, you know I've always been to the rallies growing up. Maybe in the past year or two, I've kind of become more interested and active because I've seen kind of the backlash. I'll be honest, the thing that really gets me the most is the social media aspect of things. I don't really follow Twitter because it really just makes me nauseous and all the back and forth and everything. Right. So I've been aware of, you know, how things have been developing over the past year and even the past recently in the past weeks. So when I went to this rally, I didn't I went to a rally two weeks ago. I think it was either a Tuesday or Wednesday. Same location, mm-hmm. same spot, same time frame, same everything. I wore my kippah, was meeting my friends, met them at the crowd, you know. Went there, went back. I was there for two, three hours. Nothing, nothing major happened. You know, there'd be incidents here and there. Maybe someone would try to run in and start a fight, but nothing. I mean, nothing really happened. So when I had the opportunity to attend the second rally on Thursday night, I didn't really, you know, bat an eye, put much thought into it. You know, I didn't think my, I was in danger in any way or any sort of threat relative to the previous week. So you know, I was doing the same thing, and this time I didn't even make it to the rally. I was a block or two away, in the midst of texting my friends, "Where are you guys? I want to meet you at the rally." You know, et cetera. Were you and, wearing an Israeli flag draped over you, carrying no, a finger? So the only thing so, was your yarmulke. Your yes, yarmulke was it wasn't an anti-Zionism, actor. exactly. So that's kind of, you know, it kind of merges the two because, like I've said previously in numerous interviews, I was just wearing a kippah. I wasn't wearing an Israeli flag. I wasn't wearing an Israeli shirt. Uh, the only way to really tell me apart from anyone else in the crowd and identify that I was different than, I guess, people in, in close proximity was my kippah. Yeah. So that tells you everything. That that's a really really important insight. Because, exactly. Yeah. You know, many people are seeing the spike of anti-Semitism as anti-Israel. What do you expect? Israel's an aggressor. Israel apartheid. Israel this. Israel that. But mm-hmm. what they don't understand is, is the exact opposite. Anti-Israel is anti-Semitism. And the they go hand in hand. Are, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You know, for us too, we, we had we had a rally last week and. And uh, thank God we had a great turnout. And we were waving Israeli flags. And uh, That's awesome. there was a van, a van that went around and circled several times with a group of uh, white supremacists, neo-Nazis, yeah, whatever, whatever they were. Yeah. But the entire van said, Hitler was right. He should have killed all the Jews. Yelling the most violent. You, you, can go online and, you can go online and see that written in various places currently still yeah, to this yeah. day. Until this moment. Yeah, it, was, yeah. it, was, it was trending. So you're walking. You're going there. You're texting your friends. And, and, and what happened? All of a sudden... People's the corner of my eye, I, I see someone chasing me with their fist reared back, ready to, you know, lay a nice punch into me. And before I could even react, make a second movement or flee, you know, try to take off, there was a whole crowd of people who proceeded to kick me, punch me, hit me with flagpoles, hit me with crutches, and then icing on top towards the end was getting mace and pepper spray for about a minute. I thought they were going to the bathroom on me, but they were actually pepper spraying and macing me, which... I can tell you firsthand is extremely, extremely painful. I couldn't see for hours. My face was felt like it was on fire. Um, but yeah, so essentially that what took that's what took place. I went to the hospital and thankfully, thank God, I was able to leave that night and be holding my family for Shabbos. What was going through your mind? People are punching, they're kicking, they're hitting you with things, they're macing you. There was a car, a van near you that was backing up that looked like it could have even come close to, to driving over you. So yeah, I remember, yeah. I literally fell to the ground and covered my head, face, and neck area as tightly as I could. I grabbed it as tightly, you know, just to, whatever I could see was important. Whatever I thought, first things I guess, I literally, I just grabbed my head, face, neck area. 
And maybe that's why the rest of my body's more sore and my wrist is a little banged up. But right. I essentially just wanted to survival mode and brace for impact and just try to make it out the other side. Wow. Were you worried you weren't going to? Did you think that that might be one thousand percent? I didn't know how long it was going to last in the midst of it. it it's you, you never know. I mean, who's to say that it could take two minutes? It could take five. It could take ten. I, I've never been in that situation. I've never. I was yeah. I was there. Were thoughts running through my head that this could be the end. Were there people trying to help you? So I've seen the video once or twice, and there's an individual in a pink shirt that looks like he's trying to force people back, and he's huddled me over me and. I, I mean, I can't really identify whether he's helping me or, you know, exactly to what extent I said in numerous interviews pre- uh, previously, if he was helping me and he was, in fact, putting himself in harm's way to protect me, I would love to speak with him, reach out and sit down with him yeah. and thank him, have a drink with him or something. I haven't heard back, but, you know, I'm sure maybe he wants to keep private. It's OK. But um, like I said, um, you know, anyone who's there to help me, the police have been top notch, amazing. The NYPD has been in constant communication with me that night at the hospital I met some of the highest levels of the hate crimes unit. Uh, and they were, since then, they've been intent on doing whatever they can to bring these perpetrators to justice. One of them was yeah. arrested, I saw, right? Second one was arrested as well. But unfortunately, I mean, they're both out on the streets, but nothing can really do oh. about that. That's New, York, that's New York law for you, but what can you do? And well, I, you, haven't been, yeah, sorry, you haven't been quiet about, obviously, you've been doing interviews all over. You're on Behind the Bema tonight, which I think is your most prestigious interview yet. Thank you. Um, was, <laughs> there, was there any... Was there ever any consideration to just kind of lay low, not come out in such a public way? What gave you the confidence, even after you got went through what you went through, to really come out there and put yourself out there even more to be the face of really the battle against anti-Semitism in New York City? I didn't plan on when that incident happened. I didn't know the extent of what even happened to me until I saw the video and until that really went viral. At that point, I knew maybe this could have been something. But honestly, when I got home from the hospital that night, I must have had, no joke, hundreds of messages of support from people. People I haven't spoken to in years. People that friendly on Facebook. People, random people who didn't even know who I was and saw what happened. And honestly, at that point, that whole wave of support really kind of gave me the strength to make try and make a difference. I, I don't know if I will. I can't say whether or not I will. I've, you know, I've reached out to the mayor and the governor of my state, Governor Cuomo, Mayor de Blasio, many times to try to get in touch with them and see if I can sit down and see if there's something we could do. I've yet to hear a reply from any of them that have reached out to my family. Um, I mean, Cuomo called my father, I'll be, uh, but he, I, told, I called his office twice. I called yesterday and today. We left all my information. I'd love to speak with him, and I still haven't gotten a call. Yeah, Some people shameful. are – I mean, I, I've been a resident of, of the New York City the past decade. I'm the biggest proponent of New York City, you can ask – People who know me, my father is constantly telling me, "Move to Florida, move to Florida." <laughs> he's the biggest a smart man. He's <laughs> not going anywhere. He'll, he'll appreciate that. Yeah, he loves Florida. He's always telling me to move, and I'm always one of these guys that said, "No, I love New York." I, you know, if I leave, I'm never coming back. But it's very disheartening when forget the fact that these things take place. But when after even if they take place, you can't even reach out to the victim and make sure they're okay and just offer your your support and everything. It's very hurtful, honestly. It's, yeah. just, it's, it's yeah. actually, there's so many lessons from what you just said. First of all, just to unpack it, and again, thank you for being with us. We really of course, appreciate thank you for it. having me. But appreciate one it. is, you know, when you, when you describe 
and I know Congressman Torres, who we're going to have on, feels the same way. But when you described after going through a terrible incident that when people reach out and they text, they call, they get in touch, it means a world. You thrive, 100%. you're and, energized yeah. by that support. It's such an important lesson for all of us listening because, you know, sometimes we're tempted to reach out and we say, ah, what's the difference? I'm sure he's hearing from the whole rest every, of the world. Every bit counts. What difference? Will, but every bit, every text, yeah. every email, every phone call makes a difference. So, and what 100%. does it take? If someone reads a text, you're not calling them and insisting you have to speak to them. Yeah. But someone's going through a hard time and it doesn't have to be a victim of an anti-Semitic hate crime. It could be, you know, somebody who's diagnosed with an illness, somebody's alone, somebody's going through a hard time. The power of reaching out so i think that's really important from what you said but the second thing that's important that i think we should unpack and i don't want to rank and start ripping on the no, of course yeah i don't want to get too though, political i'm trying to be a little a little yeah, down no, the no, middle yeah though, even though they yeah. certainly deserve it but yeah um is is that everybody runs to twitter everybody runs online the mayor and the governor both made public statements about anti-semitism they have and my they information both, they can reach right, out and they both spoke about the attack and you're the victim and it's a terrible terrible thing that happened so it's almost as if they're more concerned with the court of public opinion 100%. and the image of how they're reacting than actually speaking to you i mean how long would it take to call you for two minutes and talk to you checking in how are you feeling i'm sorry this happened in our state or under my watch how long would that take and the fact that they haven't we could give the benefit of the doubt I guess they're you know busy. They have to defend themselves from. I'll be honest, Mayor De Blasio. I heard the other days but... making jokes about the Knicks and the Atlanta Hawks. I, I I don't think. I mean, he's he's got time on his hands. Let's be real. Yeah, it's it's a it's a shame. I want to ask you one more question. Go ahead, of course. Yeah. Shiva boy, Rashid graduate. Both Rashid. my sons low went to Rashid. So yeah. Marcus boys go Rashid. So, um, how do you interpret this, or have you had time to think about this in a religious context? You know, when you were going through it, I don't want to put you on the spot or ask you yeah. too personal a question, but when you were in that moment and you described how you had no idea how it would end or what would go on, you know, does, do, do you scream out to Hashem? Is there a heartfelt prayer? Are, are you thinking afterwards some sense of gratitude? Suda so da now. Forgive, give our listeners a sense of a, a religious context in which you've experienced this. Prime example, this is the first time in my life I've ever said go, Mel. That was... Wow. Hey, sorry. I just had a missed call. Okay. You got me? I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. It's the Blasio, by the way. He's yes. probably no, no, no. Call. And he realized he's got That's a call. Bring him on the show. Let's go. I wish. I, have a, I merge him in. No, no, I wish. I think he's sleeping already. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'll be honest. I said Gomal for the first time on Shabbos. I went to uh, I went to a smaller shul because I didn't want to be a whole, a whole to-do. And like I said, Jews who didn't even know me, uh, the rabbi of that shul, Rabbi Kalish, uh, you know, located in, uh, sure. in the five towns. Amazing experience. I, I didn't think much of it when I was woke up that morning going to shul, but getting up there, sitting, you know, standing next to the Torah, getting an aliyah. I don't get aliyahs that often, I'll be honest. Getting an aliyah and saying, Gomel, it, was, it did hit me at that point that, you know, this, there's some religious aspect to this. Well, well, we wish you the best. Thank you yeah. for spending some time of with course. us. Of course, thank you for I'm having sorry. me. I appreciate it. We're sorry you've become the spokesperson, but you're doing a great job as I a hope. spokesperson. I hope. Mean, I'm trying my best. Thank you very much. You're making all of us proud and continue to heal and, and to feel well and to be well. And uh, hopefully, on the one hand, it'll be in the rearview mirror, but hopefully you'll also, the rest of your life, you'll be able to educate the public that anti-Semitism exists in a very real way in our time. And if we don't stand up to it, then more incidents like this could happen. So thank you so much for being with Absolutely us. Absolutely great. Thank you so much. Have a great night, guys. Enjoy. Take Bye. care. Right. Bye. Thank you. Good night. You too. All wow. right, we're going to bring the congressman on momentarily, but uh, wow. let's just unpack that for a moment. Takes a lot of courage, I'll tell you. You know, after an anti-Semitic act like that and being the victim of it, I, I could see wanting to just you know lay low, not be the face of the fight from now on. But he's uh, he's embraced it, and I give him a lot of credit for it. And I give him, you know, Hashem should give him a lot of strength, both physically, spiritually, emotionally, to be able to confront. Because I'm sure he gets backlash, you know, for all the nice text messages he gets. I'm sure social media isn't as pretty, 
and uh, it takes a lot to put yourself as the face of that. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, I don't want to jump on the bandwagon in terms of the pushback on his elected leaders who he feels are failing him. But I do think it, it leads to an important conversation I wanted to have tonight. I want to bring on the congressman, so maybe we'll have it afterwards. But you know, if you're following the story about Mark Ruffalo, who's a, I think it's his name, who's an actor who wrote horrific things about Israel while rockets were raining down, um, describing Israel as committing genocide, and only afterwards now apologizing. And, you know, what's, what's the value of an apology? Should we run to accept it? Is it deserved? Is it warranted when the damage done from kind of rhetoric is, is the experience that, that Joseph had in the streets of Manhattan? So, you know, the notion of kind of the online, the offline, we had Matthew Hiltzig on a few weeks ago who, who represents a lot of high-profile people when they're going through a crisis, and he represented um, uh, Myers Leonard, who had his right. incident, and he talked to us about how he navigated that incident. I actually spoke to Myers today, and I'll tell you, to this moment, Myers is still not, he, he'd come on behind the beam, he's, he doesn't want to do an interview. He's not writing a tweet. He's not putting out a statement of an apology. His, his goal is not to convince anyone that he has remorse or regret. His goal is to prove it. That was Matthew's guidance, and I, I took a lot from that that night, that wisdom that said, don't tell people what you're going to do, do it, and then you can tell them what you've done. Right? That alone was, was really, really a lot of wisdom. When you've made a mistake, don't come out, don't come out blazing with everything you're going to do. Just, just do what you should be doing, and then you can talk about, look, I made a mistake, and here's what I've done since then. So, yeah, I do think there's a difference, though. In the, in the Myers-Leonard case, it was kind of in a vacuum. He obviously made a comment he shouldn't have made, and, and clearly he's been remorseful, and I know you're in touch with him all the time, and you've been mentoring him along, and it's, you've developed a nice friendship with him. Mentoring. But in the context of a war where rockets are being fired in Israel and the rhetoric online is so heated and so inflammatory, I do believe words there carry an extra level of significance. And if you say a comment of anti-Israel, anti-Zionism, and you further stoke the coals, certainly in the, right. in the heated environment in which we live, there, there's an added level of responsibility for those words. Well, let's come back. I want to continue this conversation after we have the congressman on because I think it's an important one to have, and there's certainly different uh, legitimate positions on it, and I'd love to continue to have it. Um, it's really an honor to have uh, Representative uh, Richie Torres, who is a first-term congressman from uh, the Bronx. The Bronx, I think he represents the smallest district geographically, but obviously a large population, and he was a up-and-coming rising star who came through, grew up in the Bronx, came through the system, was... Uh, was on the uh, councilman in the city and really um, distinguished himself in his leadership early on so that he ran. He's uh, several minorities himself. He's struggled himself with bullying and hate and yet persevered. And uh, we're really, really, the pro-Israel and the Jewish community are really, really grateful that somebody who's a freshman congressman, he's brand new, he's in the progressive community and has a lot to risk, has stood up for Israel even though it was been responded to with a lot, a lot of hate and a lot of vile things said to him and about him. So it's really an honor to be able to bring him on tonight and to be able to uh, thank him in person. We are so honored and grateful to be joined this evening by Congressman Torres. Thank you so much, Congressman, for giving us of your precious time. We really appreciate it. It's, I'm happy to be here. It's good Thank to have you behind the Bima. I have to begin by telling you that a few months ago, we had a guest on our show, a friend of ours, Jeff Swartz, the former CEO of yes. Timberland. And we were talking about something entirely different out of nowhere. And he says, you know, there's an up and coming congressman who was a councilman. I go to the Bronx to visit. He's amazing pro-Israel. He was singing your praises even before I think you were sworn in and before we were benefiting from your support at this time. So Jeff was as often ahead of the game in recognizing your up and coming greatness for the pro-Israel community. So uh, he, 
he probably because of behind the beam of that you, because of the show that you got elected i'm sure you know no, everyone not, heard not about exactly. it <laughs> not exactly it's an honor to be jeff schwartz and you know jeff actually came to the south bronx he took a tour of the district uh he's one of the most extraordinary people uh, i've ever met and you know he believed in me when very few people did so i'm, I'm just enormously grateful for his friendship he, he is wonderful. And our mutual dear friend, Representative Ted Deutsch, who's been on our show as well, for connecting us to be able to make this happen this evening. Um, and uh, Ted, we know, is fighting tirelessly for Israel, fighting anti-Semitism every day right now. Unfortunately, has a lot of work to do. So we're, we're grateful to him and grateful for that friendship. So let's, let's jump right in because you've really distinguished yourself um, immediately as almost brand new in Congress, unfortunately, in a world in which many have abandoned or many are lukewarm in their support, but you've come out very, very strong. Israel, I don't need to tell you, for 11 days, 4,000 rockets. I have a brother and a sister who live in Israel with their families. My daughter's in Israel. Rabbi Brody's daughter is actually fighting in the IDF in Israel. She works in Iron Dome Battery fighting those rockets. And when they were falling, and we counted on many elected officials, some of whom described themselves as a Shomer Yisrael, a defender of the Jewish people, and they were absent, and their statements couldn't be found. But you, you were out front early, you were out front strong, and you faced a lot of uh, opposition from it. You wrote a great article for the New York Post in which you said, here's why I'm supporting Israel despite the Twitter mob. So talk to us a little bit about where that support for Israel comes from. Where did you learn about Israel? Where did you fall in love with Israel? Why do you support Israel? And why are you willing to do it even though you become subject to personal attacks? Well, the simple answer is it's the right thing to do. Um, I mean, Israel is... You know, one need not be Jewish or Israeli to have deep admiration for Israel as a success story of, of human resilience and ingenuity. Like Israel is a powerful example of, of, of what can be achieved uh, when, when a people come together. And I think of Israel as a, as a profoundly progressive success story. Um, you know, I am pro-Israel, not despite my progressive values, but because of them. You know, Israel is a sovereign state, and with sovereignty comes the right of self-defense. You know, if my neighbors and I were the target of more than 4,000 rockets, I would expect my government to defend myself, which is a right that every country, including our own, take for granted. And what I've often found is that Israel is the target uh, of double standards. And I feel like I have an obligation to speak out against the undercurrent of anti-Semitism uh, that often drives the disproportionate scrutiny of Israel. And Thank you. And we're going to go to we'll go to that because there's no question that some of the anti-Israel sentiment has obviously uh, overflown now into this explosion of anti-Semitism. And, and we'll get there in a second. But Congressman, why do you think it is that you get something that's so obvious to you and yet to many of your colleagues? And this is an apolitical show and, and bipartisan. Yeah. We have people from both sides on both sides of the aisle. But but more, I think, within the Democratic Party, there's a struggle and there's a tug of war right now. Something so obvious to you about Israel's right to defend herself. Why do so many other people miss that? Why don't they see it? What What is corrupting the narrative here that people are distorting that reality and are equating a liberal democracy, Israel, with a terror organization out to not only destroy Israel, but to wipe out Jews wherever they are on the globe? Well, part of it is hatred for Israel um, and, and anti-Semitism. And then part of it is a lack of, of empathy, a lack of empathy for the plight of the Jewish people, a lack of empathy for the unique security situation of Israel. You know, if you go to Israel and see the challenges that Israel faces with your own eyes, 
you know, there's nothing in the American experience that's remotely comparable to the volatility that Israel faces, right? No one in the United States lives in danger or fear of, of rocket fire. Here in the United States, we're comfortably guarded with oceans. We have peaceful neighbors like Canada and Mexico. Uh, whereas in Israel, you're surrounded by hostile neighbors, right? Al-Qaeda, um, the Hamas, Hezbollah. You know, I had a, a, a you know, a friend of mine and, and some of my relationships have sustained damage, but a friend of mine sent me uh, a meme uh, that that said the following. It said that it, it's it's crazy how the media has managed to brainwash people into thinking that villagers with stones are oppressing a nuclear power. And, and I said to this person, I said, first of all, mention of media brainwashing is a classic anti-Semitic trope, number one. Number two, Hamas does not consist of villagers with stones. These are rockets, right. 4,000 rockets. Hezbollah and Hamas have more missiles than every NATO country except the United States combined. Wow. And so there, there are people who are expressing strong opinions against Israel and strong opinions about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict without knowing anything, without ever having gone to Israel, without knowing anything about the history or facts on the ground. Um, you know, I've taken the time to actually go to Israel. I've, I've gone to the territories. I've, I've studied the situation intensely. And I see clearly the anti-Semitic double standard that's often directed against Israel. And I often wonder to myself, why is Israel the only country on earth targeted for delegitimation? Right? There's no BDS movement against China, which is detaining more than a million Muslims. No BDS movement against Myanmar, which has ethnically cleansed Muslims. No BDS movement against Iran, which is the leading state sponsor of terrorism. Right? Only Israel is targeted for destruction and delegitimation. And for me, that double standard is driven by anti-Semitism, right. and I refuse to turn a blind eye to it. You're absolutely amazing, and we can't thank you enough, and, and you articulate that message so perfectly and so accurately. Um, and, and from the bottom of our hearts, we thank you. Tell us more about that trip to Israel and, and where this comes from, right? Again, something so obvious and clear, so factual to us, and something decent people everywhere should conclude. Sadly, um, we are counting fewer friends people that we should be able to rely on. And you are among them, and you're towards that top of that list in a very short time. So, you know, again, you, you said that it's obvious, it's the right thing to do, but beyond the right thing to do, you clearly have an affectionate tie to connection to Israel. Tell us about that trip, what led to that trip, what was it like, where did you go, what did you see, what stands out? Well, I'm convinced that my commitment to Israel flows from my empathy as a person. And, and just a little bit about my background, you know, I. I came from poverty. I was raised by a single mother who had to raise three children on minimum wage, which in the 1990s was a mere $4.25. I know what it's like to experience food insecurity and housing insecurity, poverty, racism and homophobia, I'm LGBTQ, I'm Afro-Latino. And so I, I traveled to Israel from a place of deep empathy. And the two experiences that had the greatest impact on me uh, were Yad Vashem and, and the Masada. And, and those two experiences crystallized for me the rationale for a Jewish state, for a sanctuary, for Jews as a historically oppressed people. Right? And for me, the, the best summation of the need for a Jewish state are the two words, never again. Right? Never again will the Jewish community have to commit mass suicide in order to escape enslavement at the hands of a foreign enemy, as it did during Masada. Right? Never again will the Jewish community be subject to ethnic cleansing and genocide as it was during the Holocaust. And the greatest safeguard against the repeat of our worst history is Israel as a Jewish state. 
which to me is a profoundly progressive enterprise, is to establish and secure a sanctuary for a historically oppressed people. If that is not progressive, then I don't know what is. So can we come back to that? Because, and Rabbi Bird, I want to give you a chance to jump in here, but just to follow up, Congressman, on, on what you just said, um, it is a progressive, and yet you stand out among progressives. Uh, there was an article in the Daily News whose headline was, Be Like Richie. Democrats like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Bernie Sanders could learn a lot about Israel from Richie Torres. And you know your own quotes because you're, you're interviewed in it, but you talk about um, the, the rhetoric against Israel and Israel's right to defend itself, and it seems that there are, there's a progressive movement to even stop the U.S. support militarily for Israel. Um, not only to not be there in a, in a proactive, supportive way, but to actually turn back some of that support and to undo it. Why do you think that among some progressives, maybe the most extreme or those who are the most public uh, progressives, it's considered that the Palestinians are the underdog and Israel's the aggressor, and they've, they've created a narrative that progressives don't support Israel. They use terms like apartheid, and somehow they've linked Black Lives Matter or the fight against racism in this country to having to stand against Israel in the Middle East. It's such a distortion, which you understand and know well, and that's why the media are giving you the recognition you well deserve because you're standing up. Why do you think some of your progressive colleagues don't get that, and what can we do about that? Is, is there any hope? Is there hope for the squad? Can, can, whether it's APAC's efforts or other uh, advocacy groups, can we educate? Can we turn people around? Can we bring people into the light of the truth about the only liberal democracy? If a progressive agenda, I saw a meme today that, that was a picture of LGBT holding a poster that said, LGBT for Palestine. And the meme was underneath it was a, pic of, a picture of chickens that said, uh, chickens for KFC. And the, the idea, the very harsh description in that meme is that what happens to LGBT in Palestine, Israel as a liberal democracy is open and warm and welcoming and gives rights, and the, the nations that surround it that are hostile have the opposite of progressive uh, values and ideals and agenda. So is hope lost? Can we turn them around? Look, you know the world has lost its mind when you have LGBTQ activists defending Hamas, which is a terrorist organization that systematically and savagely executes LGBTQ people, right? Common sense dictates that you do not defend your executioners. Right. Um, so it's, 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 it's inexplicable to me. You know, I mean, take the, the, the concept of, of intersectionality and, and, and I feel like a, a proper conception of intersectionality ought to recognize the Jewish struggle for liberation and the Jewish experience of oppression. But notice that has been erased from the dominant notions of intersectionality. You know, intersectionality divides the world into oppressed versus oppressor, black versus white, and the anti-Semitic interpretation portrays Jews as white oppressors, it portrays Israel as a white oppressive state. Um, but take that concept for a moment. Look at, it, it, first it ignores that Jews have been among the most oppressed people in human history. That's one. Number two, it ignores the racial diversity of Israel itself. 20% of the Israeli population consists of Israeli Arabs. And even and the majority of the Jewish population, as I understand it, consists of Mizrahi Jews from North Africa and the Middle East, right. Sephardic right. Jews, who are hardly who hardly qualify as quote unquote white. So the, the intersectional critique of Israel is absurd even on its own terms and by its own standards. Right. Um, so I just find the arguments to be disingenuous. The, the most powerful um analysis that I've heard comes from an Israeli thinker. I, I believe her name is Ainat Wolf. And, and she said that Zionism 
is a progressive cause that has fallen victim to its own success. Wow. Right? Progressives de demonize Jews for progressing from victims to sovereigns. Hmm. And for me, that's such a powerful insight because the demonization of Jewish progress by self-proclaimed progressives has to be one of the greatest, cruelest ironies and greatest perversions of progressivism uh, in history. And I'm committed to speaking out against it. And any chance that we can turn the squad around? Can we get some of your colleagues to, to see the truth more on this? Look, what, what I would communicate to my colleagues is the, the objective should be to promote peace between the Israelis and Palestinians, not incite hatred for Israel. And, and in my opinion, you cannot incite hatred for Israel without ultimately inciting hatred for the Jewish community. It's no coincidence that the delegitimation campaign against Israel, which was amplified on Twitter, which was amplified by activists and elected officials, led to a global wave of anti-Semitic violence and vandalism, right? Anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism are closely intertwined in the real world, whether you admit it or not. Mm, absolutely. Wow. I'm just wondering, you know, you know, for, for certainly for the viewers out there that aren't so involved in, in political advocacy, is it something where, you know, how can we make some headway here? Is it better for you as a congressman to go and, and try to contact some of the people that might be against and say, come with me to Israel? Let me explain to you, you know, over the phone what's really, really taking place. As someone that lives in Florida and we got these these alerts that came out from APAC, which APAC has made it so easy to send a letter, email, even make phone calls to our local congressmen. Our local congressmen are very supportive, and we already know that. We you mentioned uh, at the top of the, the, the show, Congressman Deitch is fantastic. I don't know that he needs another letter from us, although it's always nice, you know, for obviously to see who's supporting the, the, the initiatives that he's putting out there. But I'm wondering, you know, does, as a congressman, does it make a diff difference to the policy if I contact Congress people that are not in my state, not in my district? Do they care if, if you know, if, if you're, if, if they're in another place, can I actually have an impact on them? Is it better to rely on you? Like, how do we, you, how do we on the ground try to create, try to create some, some form of change? Well, well, first I want to point out that your Congressman Ted Deutsch is, is, is exceptional. I mean, he's the gold standard of, of public service and there's no one who's more thoughtful about the subject of Israel than Congressman Deutsch. So I'm honored to have him as a colleague you know, to your question, my philosophy in life is if we do nothing, nothing will change. So we have no choice but to advocate for what we believe is right. And I can tell you as an elected official, it makes a difference to me. Um, you know, when I spoke out in defense of Israel, I was denounced as a white supremacist, which is absurd. I was wow. referred to as a as a eating and abetting apartheid and ethnic cleansing and genocide and my loved ones, including my mother, had to read the vile rhetoric that was personally directed against me. And it's, it's deeply painful. And, and to have members of the Jewish community from across the world, uh -huh. across the country, from Canada, from Israel, uh, personally reaching out to me and saying, thank you for speaking up. You know, it means something to me uh, because uh, these are, I mean, it's, it's particularly terrifying and traumatic times for the Jewish community, but it, it was emotionally draining for me. And, and, and when I receive those messages, it reminds me that I'm having an impact, that I'm making a difference. And as an elected official who wishes to do good in the world, I, I wanna be reminded 
that I'm having an impact in improving people's lives. Well, and that's why we wanted to have you on tonight um, is to hear your message, but also to thank you on behalf of the many, many listeners, those who watch, to know that we, we deeply, deeply and profoundly appreciate and will never forget that you had to be at the front lines, not of a physical war, but a propaganda war. And as you described, what your mother or loved ones had to read is, is unfair, it's unjust, and, and nobody deserves it. You don't deserve it for standing with the truth and standing with what's right. Did you ever waver? There are elected officials, there are celebrities, there were candidates for mayor of New York who came out supportive of Israel, and when they took the brunt, that onslaught, they quickly retreated, and they backed down, they apologized, and, and so on. Did you ever waver? Did you ever think, you know what, maybe I don't need to come out so strong on either direction on this, maybe I should clarify, maybe I should pivot. Did you ever waver? And if not, where do you get the strength? Where do you get the conviction right. not to? Um, I never thought of wavering because for me, what it means to be a leader is to give up the need to be loved, the need for everyone's approval. Wow. Uh, leadership requires you to take positions that will alienate people. Um, and I'm willing to do what I think is right, even if it means facing ostracism from colleagues, from activists. Uh, I'm not here to be beloved. I'm here to do what I think is right, uh, because the most important value in life and in politics is integrity. Um, and I want to wake up every morning and know that I'm true to who I am and true to my deepest values as a public servant and that I'm making my mother proud. Um, I would attribute whatever strength and resilience I have to the Bronx. I mean, growing up in the Bronx and facing the rough and tumble of life in the Bronx, uh, trust me, that's much more challenging than a few mean tweets. Congressman, <laughs> um, Yan Yankee fan? Uh, by definition. Yankees all the way. I'm a big tent Democrat, so I will tolerate Yankee uh, Met fans. Okay. The might be a bridge too far for me. Agreed, agreed. But uh, Yankees all the way have been a lifelong fan, and, and we celebrate that. Let's pivot for a moment. I know you're generous with your time. If we have a, a couple more minutes with you, and to as you alluded to, as you referenced the the overflow, the spill from anti-Zionism, anti-Israel, and and the link. You know, it's the people who think that if the Jews would just give up Israel, then anti-Semitism would disappear. I'm ashamed. I'm, I'm absolutely humiliated um, from the Jewish public personalities who, who even tweeted um, some famous Jewish celebrities who basically said, we should distance from Israel. Jews have an existence outside of Israel. We don't have to be tied to or suffer the consequence of Israel. So I thought it was really well said, probably not, not by somebody that you are a fan of, but Ben Shapiro, who, who was also on our show and, and, and lives here in, in Florida now, he wrote today, if you think there would be less anti-Semitism if Israel didn't exist, let me, refer to, let me refer to all of human history between 136 CE and 1948. In other words, long before there was a state of Israel, for two millennia, Jews were targets of pogroms, expulsions, exiles, systematic attempts to annihilate. Clearly, anti-Semitism is not the result of Israel or occupation. It has existed before, and uh, unfortunately or sadly, looks like it will always exist. So what do we do about it? You know, we're having on this show... Um, uh, tonight as well, uh, somebody who was a victim of, of anti-Semitism, Joseph Borgen, who was in Manhattan on his way to a pro-Israel rally. He was attacked by a gang. He was beaten, pepper sprayed, maced, was in the hospital, all because he was wearing a yarmulke, a kippah, all because he was outwardly Jewish. So this spike of anti-Semitism, Bronx, Manhattan, and around the country, we're seeing this explosion of it directly connected. What do we do? How do we tackle it head on? How do we make sure that we confront all forms of hate, uh, anti-Semitism included among them? Look, we have an obligation to, to fight extremism no matter what form it takes. And 
You know, there are Republicans who only speak out against anti-Semitism from the left. There are Democrats who only speak out against anti-Semitism from the right. Uh, I speak out against anti-Semitism no matter what form it takes, uh, including in my own backyard, uh, because integrity requires consistency. Um, you know, anyone who thinks that there's no need for a Jewish state uh, is just utterly ignorant of history. Um, there has been a pattern of violent and genocidal anti-Semitism. It has a long and deep and ugly history, uh, and we ignore it at our own peril. And this is not a theoretical point. We're witnessing an outbreak of anti-Semitic violence. And the anti-Semites who are leveling these attacks are not inquiring about someone's position about Israel in advance. They're attacking anyone who's Jewish. Exactly. Exactly. We held a pro-Israel rally last week in our community, and a van came by with uh, spray-painted on the outside. They were waving a Palestinian flag, but spray-painted it said that Hitler was right, uh, the Holocaust never happened. They were screaming genocidal threats to the Jewish people, and it was really jarring. We had, we had little kids there. We had many, many people at this rally, and it circled around us several times. We we're obviously grateful to our sheriff's department who provided security, but I'll be honest with you, Congressman, I think the, the, the security was protecting more these people from, from us and, and some of our own members, what they were ready to do to defend. They were so traumatized and so disturbed by the messages that were coming out. And there was once upon a time that people were afraid. They would never say such things. Even if they whispered it quietly in their home, they would never say it publicly. And today we're, we're seeing that opportunity. Um, you know, Hitler was right, was, was, I don't want to say it was trending, but it appeared on, on Twitter countless, countless, countless times. A thousand times, according to the ADL. Yeah, which which is disturbing because you know one can debate other deplatforming of different messages and different people, um, but this should not be debatable. That that should not have a, a voice or a space, a platform on any social media. That shouldn't be allowed to be promoted or trend. Um, do, do you have any ideas of what we can do to to advocate and to stand up in terms of making a change? Is there legislation that would be more protective in helping us fight anti-Semitism and other forms of hate? Look, I think there. There are two clauses here. I think one is hatred, which is often implacable, and you cannot reason with people who refuse to be reasoned with. But then part of it is a lack of empathy, a lack of historical memory of, of, of Jewish suffering. Uh, and and I, I, I consider that a failure of public education. Um, I, I'm hopeful that if more people knew about the millennia of pogroms against the Jewish community and the Holocaust, that that would inspire greater empathy for the plight of the Jewish community and a greater understanding of the need for a Jewish state. So I attribute the lack of empathy to a failure of public education. That makes sense. Well, we want to, we want to thank you for your time, Robert Brody. You have one last question. Yeah, just really quickly, you know, I'm just wondering, have you heard from other maybe congressmen or political officials or, or even just friends that have traveled to Israel as an example, who might've not understood the experience of the Jewish people or, or what, what the challenges were, but then they came back and they said, now I get it. Was, is there something which, if you kind of direct people in this direction, maybe they could learn, they could understand a little bit better? You're looking at it, one example. Okay. Um, okay. I did not Any have, others? <laughs> I was never an opponent of this, but I, right. uh, I, I entered elected office as a, as a housing organizer with no right. knowledge of Israel or the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And I found my delegation to Israel to be transformative. It was one of the most transformative experiences of my life. And I'm wow. grateful. That's fantastic. Well, we, we want to thank you for your time tonight, much more I'm significantly. Thank you for Israel. <laughs> yeah.
We, we want to thank you for your time, and much more significantly, we want to uh, thank you for all that you're doing to stand up for truth and for justice, for Israel, uh, for the Jewish community fighting anti-Semitism. Thank you. And we'll, we'll give you the blessing that God should continue to give you the strength and the conviction to be able to, to fight this fight, and that you should rise, that your voice should be the dominant one in your party and uh, in Congress, that be able to return to a time where, uh, as we once had, a really bipartisan support for Israel that was obvious to all, and uh, we long for that time, and we hope that your leadership and your voice rises to be able to, uh, to, be able to achieve that. So thank you for your time, and uh, go Yankees, and we look forward to uh, <laughs> continuing to track your, your success going forward. Go Yankees and go Israel. Amen. Wow. Amen. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, we are back. We are and, back. Um, he's very, very impressive. He's really very impressive, impressive. thoughtful, so smart. articulate. Every and, part um, other than his Red Sox bashing, I could have done without that. <laughs> but, uh, other than that, I loved him. He's from the Bronx. He, he, he and I say this not to be political because we're an apolitical show, but there's very little I agree with him on on domestic issues. Um, we could disagree agreeably. But on Israel, and, and we remember, none of us are that old, and it wasn't that long ago, but we remember when, when Israel was a bipartisan cause, and we could take that for granted. We remember the APAC policy conferences, the roll call of who was there, the who's who, everybody on all sides. They were gushing. They were competing with one another. Who loves Israel more? Right. And those days seem they're gone. And will they come back? We don't know. We hope they will. But you know, it doesn't serve Israel to assume that only one party supports Israel because that party is not always going to be in the majority. They're not always going to have the White House as they don't uh, necessarily right now. And we desperately need people on all sides who love Israel and who get it. And here you have a progressive who checks off every box of progressiveness and nobody can accuse him of, of not um, understanding what it means to, to be a minority or to struggle. And he, he gets it. I mean, he said it as well or better than any of us could. So we need him. We need him. And it was worth having him on because his message is important, but it's important to have him on because he needs our gratitude. I, I know because I heard offline from, from people involved in politics, he took and he's taking a beating and he needs chizik. He needs the support. So if you're, if you're watching, if you're listening, and I don't know exactly how, but you find, uh, just I'm sure Google it, you find his office, send a note. Say thank you for standing with Israel unequivocally. Standing with Israel unconditionally, standing with Israel without any, uh, without any caveats or without trying to qualify it in any which way. He needs and he deserves that support and that gratitude. And whatever disagreements or agreements you may have on other issues, which we all have with one another, on the issue of Israel, its security and its existence, we desperately need people not only on both sides, but from the progressive stream of the left side or of the Democrats. And so we're really, really grateful to have him. You know, it'd be amazing. I was just thinking a couple of weeks when we had Yadid Harushan and people really flooded the JNF office with, with uh, opportunities to donate and to support JNF's cause. Wouldn't it be great if over the next 24, 48 hours, Richie Torres' office got flooded with phone flooded. calls, a behind the beam of listeners, flooded. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your coworkers, tell your colleagues to flood the office with thank you notes. That would be amazing. We assume, you alluded to this earlier, that we assume that we need to flood the offices of those who are not on our side. And we do, but we also can't take for granted. And if we want people to remain on our side and as spokespeople, then we need to do that. So just the one thing I would add is don't forget to mention that you heard him on behind the beam and you're calling to say <laughs> and you're calling to say thank you. So no, but he was he was great. I'll tell you one other thing. I spoke to him 
um, earlier in setting up the the interview, I said, you know, anything you don't want us to ask, anything you want us to ask to avoid, you know, it's a courtesy that we, we try to offer. We don't tell the guests the questions we're going to ask, but we want it to be spontaneous. But he, gave me, and he, he said one thing. He said one thing, and I was worried. He said, don't bring this up. Don't mention that. He said, just one thing. He said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to bash anybody. I will speak about ideas. I won't speak about people. So if you think I'm going to come out and attack anybody, it's, it's not going to happen. I don't do that. So he, he's just an impressive person. That says an it all. Impressive, impressive person. Yeah, that was, uh, that was impressive. So coming back, we're almost out of time, but I want to come back to the conversation that we were having earlier with Mark Ruffalo. So, and, and again, the anti-Israel, anti-Semites are out saying that his apology is only because Disney threatened him. I don't know, he's an actor for Disney. That Disney threatened him or Hollywood must have threatened him, which I, is not exactly so slanted towards Israel, so I doubt that that happened. But he wrote this text, he said, I, he wrote this post, I've reflected and want to apologize for posts during the recent Israel-Hamas fighting that suggested Israel is committing genocide. It's not accurate, it's inflammatory, disrespectful, and is being used to justify anti-Semitism here and abroad. Now is the time to avoid hyperbole. So my, my question is not, are we grateful for his apology? Of course we are. It's on the record. He took a beating now for backtracking. And, you know, he didn't take this down. So grateful for it. It contributes positively. I'm happy. But what I saw online was several people gushing for, got to run to accept an apology. So great. It's wonderful he said that. You see he's on the right side. And I guess my question, I'm not, I'm not saying anything definitively. I'm posing it as a question, is can we accept and embrace and give positive feedback and gratitude for the apology, but without somehow turning the person who a moment ago might have contributed to a flare-up of anti-Semitic attacks and all of a sudden turned them into a sort of hero or hold them up high because they have owned their words. And I wonder whether anyone would have the same reaction. If somebody posted horrifically biased, uh, racist comments, if somebody used language that was inflammatory, if somebody wrote horrifically insensitive, racist comments, and then there were racist attacks and people were injured, people died, and they wrote, you know, whoops, sorry, used hyperbole, not the time, I'm sorry if I was insensitive in using that. We'd be grateful, we'd be grateful they learned their lesson, but would we run to accept it and receive it and, and hold them up? What's missing, what's missing, and I appreciate you giving me the time, I want to hear what you have to say, what's missing to me from the text was, and here, you know, I don't know why I reacted that way. He doesn't say, you know, what, what, well, if it wasn't genocidal, here's my question. If you are admitting that it wasn't accurate, it wasn't accurate, it was inflammatory, it was disrespectful, and it's being used to justify anti-Semitism, and it was hyperbole. So now a day later, you're able to see it as all those things. Well, what are you doing about it? What was your blind spot? Why didn't you see that earlier? Why did you engage in this? How are you educating yourself? And what will you do to positively impact the security of Israel or even the Palestinian-Israel issue you claim to care about? All of that part is what's missing. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and I don't know if you read his original tweet for our listeners, but I'm just going to read it for people just so I understand the magnitude of what he wrote. He wrote, over 30 children killed, mothers dead, hundreds injured. We are on the brink of a full-scale war. Sanctions on South Africa helped free its black people. It's time for sanctions on Israel to free Palestinians. Join the call. Right. So that was his original tweet. And I, I agree with you. I think it comes back to our conversation previously, which is I think there's an enormous amount of misinformation out there. I don't call it misinformation. I think it's just people who are not educated on the issue. And I think if you aren't living and breathing the Middle East like you and I do, 
and our communities do. And all of a sudden you see the news reports and the headlines coming out. You would also draw the conclusions that you were drawing. So, you know, maybe I have a little bit of a different tank where I don't blame people necessarily. I just think it's a reinforcement of the notion that there's an enormous amount of misinformation, um, uneducated people out there on the issues. And I think that puts the burden, I know you're going to disagree with me, but I really believe it puts the burden on our community who cares so deeply about this issue to make sure that we're getting out there and educating people as 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 much as possible. It's what APAC does and it's why we love APAC. It's it's the success story of Richie Torres where APAC took someone, I know I'm, I'm, I'm not letting you in yet, but APAC took someone who they brought him to Israel and they allowed him to formulate an opinion based on education rather than just on headlines. And I think we need to do more of that. One of my kids texted me after let Rabbi Brody speak more. So Rabbi Brody, what are you saying? <laughs> yeah. I happen to agree with Rabbi Moskowitz here. I think that most of these people don't know what the issues are. I think that you and I, who, as you said, live and breathe these issues, still find them incredibly complicated. And now you have people in Hollywood making statements, people in the sports uh, world making statements. They don't know the issue on either side. And they're getting a pressure to come and come out and make a statement or they, they think it's the right thing to do or they think it's the cool thing to do. And then all of a sudden they got to backtrack. But I don't think they know what they're talking about when they say something pro-Israel. I don't think they know what they're talking about when they say something negative against Israel. I think tomorrow they'll say something that has nothing to do with Israel. They'll, they'll be on to whatever the next major story is. We're, we're not arguing that it's our job and responsibility to educate, to be out there. Uh, we're not arguing that. And we're also not arguing that when a person does um, apologize or does say that they regret the impact of their words, we should embrace it, we should accept it, and now we should try to educate. We agree on both of those things. Where I think we disagree is, where's his responsibility? He's a public personality with a large platform and an online following, and he is weighing in and speaking irresponsibly about something he doesn't know anything about. Right. So the answer that he follows the news, and that was his conclusion, it's not, that's not to me a justification. It wasn't a justification in the other direction. You know, I, I posted earlier today using, trying to use her own words um, against her, but AOC had posted in March 23rd of 2020. She wrote, many who've never had to deal with the consequence of such rhetoric, thinking and objecting to the president's racism is about political correctness. Really, it's about protecting the millions of people who've become more vulnerable to hate crimes as a result of such language. So I wrote, many who never had to deal with the consequences of such rhetoric about Israel, thinking and objecting to AOC's anti-Israel bias is about correctness. Really, it's about protecting the millions of Jews who've become more vulnerable to hate crimes as a result of such language. I took her exact sentence and just replaced it with Israel. If you hold others accountable, and I'm going to go on a limb and guess that Mark Ruffalo in his evaluation of the past four years, thought that rhetoric was bad and could lead to action that's, that's filled with hate. Well, then you have to hold yourself to the same standard. You cannot use, language is powerful. Language leads to differences. And when you post and you contribute to rhetoric, people get attacked. No, so, so just to clarify, I agree with you, right? Now, once you make the mistake, it's your obligation to undo your mistake. And the only way to undo your mistake is to use your, to use your position of popularity and prestige to educate people going forward. I'm simply saying that there are lots of Mark Ruffalo's out there. I believe that there are millions of them in America, and those people who are just simply uneducated on the issues. And I think that, unfortunately, and, and again, you can disagree, but I really think it puts the burden on us. No, I, I, to, we agree on that. We agree on right. that. I know if you're looking for a good disagreement tonight, there's other things we can bring up, but that's, <laughs> that's, well, this one we actually agree on. We, we agree on. We agree on. The question is how? What's the vehicle? What, what is the mechanism? How do we educate? How do we engage? Right, I can't make I can't make coffee with Mark Ruffalo. So who are the influencers? No, but there is someone who can. And, and the, 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 no, but there always is someone who can. I don't know if you remember. I forgot the athlete's name, but uh, I think he was on the 
who was at the Philadelphia Eagles who made an anti-Semitic comment and Julian Edelman reached out to him and said, you know what? I'd love to get coffee. I'd love to educate you about the issues and help you understand them better. There's always someone who has a connection. So and maybe I think that's the, what happened here. You know, someone no, reached I mean, out. Yeah, to it's him very possibly it is. Yeah. And, and I, we applaud whoever that person hypothetically And it's what happens with was. Myers Leonard also, by the way. Yeah, right. No, that's no, exactly but, but, what happened. I guess my point is that Mark Ruffalo needs to hire Matthew Hiltzik because when you put this out, <laughs> no, he does. And, and you know, if you know Mark Ruffalo or Mark, if you're listening, I think you should hire Matthew Hiltzik because, and I don't get a cut from Matthew Hiltzik, but I, I think what, again, what to me is missing before we run to celebrate, like we're so grateful, we should accept, we should embrace, we should educate. But I think what's missing is, and here's what I'm now going to do. I was wrong. I used the term genocide and I've drawn a straight line from my rhetoric to a spike 500% in London in anti-Semitic attacks, and in America, 200%, and so on and so forth. There's a straight line between my irresponsible language and that. Okay, now now what? Now what? The tweet? That's it? We're all good now? You wrote a tweet? I shouldn't have used hyperbole. We're all good? Or are you going to educate? Are you going to contribute? Are you going to go to... No, do you make I a pledge to go to Israel? Are you going to meet yeah. with APAC? Are you going to meet with leaders on both sides, understand the issues better? Now what? Now what? What are you doing about it? In order to earn our, our total... Um, favor you know is it enough to just write a post or now what the proof is in the pudding kabbalah al asid you got to make a commitment to the future now what that is my question that is completely my agree okay well, agreement. It's a boring show i tried boring i show. tried to stoke the calls <laughs> boring show all right gentlemen the hour is late we still have uh, several people with us and of course we always invite them to subscribe on youtube and to rate and review to the podcast it's been climbing higher and higher we've got great great i'll tell you I, I always hesitate. My own family gives me pushback. Like, why? It sounds so pathetic. Rate and review. We've had the most extraordinary guests. Forget any of us. Forget great messages. Us. Forget the three of us. Rabbi Grossman, the disco rabbi. Right. You have to listen to that. If you, you want did, to yeah. all Jews, you have to listen to that. You did Yaharush on the, on the, on the Gaza-Egypt border. He's at the front. Five in the Israel. morning. You got you to gotta listen to that. You got to listen to Rabbi Benji Levine about his grandfather, Rabbi Levine. You got to listen. Next week's guest, you've got to listen to next week's guest. These are no miss. So if you're listening now, we're preaching to the choir, but tell other people, not for us, not for Goldberg, Brody, and Moskowitz, but the guest. Tell them exactly what to skip to and where they can get right to the guest. But for the sake of people getting more exposed to hear these, to hear these really wonderful people. You know, when I went back to the Jeff Swartz interview, because I wanted to make sure that it was Richie Torres he was talking about, I was like, this was an amazing interview. Again, not because of that. Jeff Swartz shared tremendous wisdom. So if you rate and review and it climbs the ladder, more people learn about it, find out about it, listen to it. More people are inspired by it. Anything else you want to close with going on in your lives, going on in the community as we continue to grow? Very excited to announce that our shul is really back. Our community is back. We talked about that last week in terms of Shavuos. Um, we consulted today and we hope within the next couple weeks we're going to be able to move to a mask optional for all vaccinated, unvaccinated, even children. Not, nothing definitive yet, but when we hit the date after which anyone who wants to be fully vaccinated, meaning two weeks after the second vaccine could be, then at that point, the burden shifts. So we're looking forward to be able to be a community that uh, embraces all in that way and uh, nothing definitive, nothing conclusive. Hopefully I won't regret even saying that right now, but we are looking towards that and grateful for that opportunity, hopeful for that opportunity. Gentlemen, anything you want to close with going on in your lives? Tell us Orlando, Rabbi Brody, Orlando, what was that Incredible about? Incredible trip, momentum. Took a little reunion trip up to Orlando, 50 guys that went uh, on one of these trips to Israel with us. And uh, now we're spending, spent three days together 
trying to figure out you know what's next. And when you get together, 50 guys spending three days just trying to work on themselves, better relationships with their spouses, better to become a better dad, and uh, more committed to something in, in Jewish life, it's very, very inspiring. What was one so, highlight? I, I don't want to give away some of the secrets, but but they they really take a moment to really look at your you know to take a deep dive into yourself and uh, and some and make make real commitments. Where similar to what we did a number of months ago, there's now you know, a WhatsApp group where everyone's committed to something significant, mm. and you've got to check in every day for forty days. Um, one of the one of the educators, Charlie, Charlie would always say, "It's not it's not a uh, inspiration doesn't do anything. It's 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 ritual, and making something a ritual. The same way you never forget to brush your teeth in the mornings, become part of who you are, as opposed to let's say your five year old, right? It's 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 hard to get that person to do because it. not part of who they are yet." Uh, same way, just 40 days, just make it happen. And uh, now, everyone's checking itself, on each other. Yeah. This is a topic I wanted to get to tonight, but we'll have to save it for next week or the week after. We are heading towards summer vacation. We didn't take vacations last year, so we're two years working straight and eager and excited to have it to disconnect. How do you do that with technology? What will be with Behind the Beam over the summer? Um, so we'll get to, because I know Rabbi Brody, you made a bold move, really annoying to me, but a bold move a while ago to turn all notifications on your phone off. <laughs> So you have no idea. We can have like WhatsApp <laughs> conversations for like four hours. Everyone's like, where's Brody? So no we'll, phone we'll ringing, no texting, we'll, yeah, nothing. We'll get to yeah. that another time. But my question to you is on the retreat, do yeah. all the participants, like are they on their, these are, these are type A personalities, uber successful business guys, people. Yeah, yeah, business yeah. people, probably a room full of Ritalin. So are, are they able to disconnect? Do they, do they take the phones away? Do they have to like leave it in their room? Are they fully present? It's, a, or it's, it's, like it's encouraged. It's encouraged. I would say, unfortunately, I was one of the people that just, Kind of broke that rule. Um, staff. It's funny because you weren't responding yeah, to yeah. our stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, you could see when I check in. I'm saying I wasn't constantly on it, but but I think most of the guys were actually disconnected from wherever they were supposed to be. It okay. was fantastic. Nice. It was very powerful. It was very very powerful. And you Shout can just see when my... when you get guys that are like as you said, very very successful people, just breaking down and getting a little emotional. It's, it's unbelievable. It's very 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 powerful. Well, it fits with your motto, inspire yourself to inspire others, but it's others being inspired inspires you. So being right. in a room with those people and living vicariously through your eyes, powerful. it's got to be great. Rabbi Moskos, before we turn to you, shout out to my daughter, Tamar, who has already sent me a screenshot of the text message she sent to Richie Torres' office, thanking him. So for our listeners, Rabbi Moskowitz has given you a given you homework. You could find it online, go on, it'll take challenge. 20 seconds, it makes a difference. He's giving you a challenge. Mention him on Bima, challenge. and you want to thank him for everything that he's doing. Rabbi Moskowitz, What's, what's going on with you? Anything this week? Anything happening in your life? Yeah, unfortunately, uh, many of you know, people have been listening to my classes for the last number of months. I've been uh, davening hard for my cousin uh, from Hillside, New Jersey, who was very sick. Unfortunately, he passed away last week. So there's been a little bit of a cloud hanging over our family as you're trying to digest that uh, really horrific news. Four young boys, really an incredible individual. Um, 